Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special edition of the Soccer Speakeasy podcast at the Columbus Dispatch. I'm your host this week. It's Jacob Myers, your Columbus Career SC beat writer at the Dispatch. And it's a special episode because I spoke to author of new Save the Crew book, Pete McGinty, and former Save the Crew spokesperson, Morgan Hughes. I talked to both of them about the new book, Accidental Heroes, the grassroots movement that helps save the Columbus crew. For those that followed the movement uh, very closely, you probably know a lot of the details, but I spoke to Pete and Morgan to kind of reflect on some big moments during that movement, the legacy of Save the Crew, and also the direction in which Pete chose to tell the story. He really solely focused on the movement through the eyes of the Save the Crew leadership instead of those such as Alex Fisher and and others at the Columbus Partnership, as well as the Edwards and Haslam families and and the city, Governor Mike DeWine, city attorney Zach Klein, kind of what I would call the power holders of the story and that put political pressure on Anthony Precourt in his determination to move the first franchise in MLS history to Austin. So listen to this interview that I did with them and you get a sense of what is in the book. The book is available for sale. It came out earlier this September. So that that's in this podcast. And first, let's just go through a couple updates with the crew, what's happening on the field. This past Saturday, the crew played Nashville SC 1-2-0 at Moffray Stadium in front of 1,500 fans. It was a game that I didn't really know how to read at first, knowing that Lucas Elorion and Darlington Nagby might not be available. Nagby ended up not being available. More on that in a second. Elorion came off the bench, but really I, I expected the crew defense to bounce back from their previous game against Chicago, and they certainly did that. Another clean sheet. It's nine and 12 games, which is just frankly astounding and absolutely historic. Jonathan Mensah is continuing to prove to be arguably the MLS Defender of the Year. He will certainly be up there in the conversation uh, for that award if the de- if the defense continues to do uh, what it has been doing for 12 games now. And it wasn't many offensive chances. The crew were in some spots where they couldn't complete that last pass. Pedro Santos gets the crew on the board in the 50th minute. I enjoyed seeing the club account tweet out with the asterisk Sanch as to allude to a popular phrase among the crew faithful and and it's reference to how Pedro pronounces his last name in the uh, SoundCloud soundbite on the club website. So if, if you don't know what that is, just go there and you'll understand why they call him Sanch. But Sanch scores in the 50th minute. Uh, he's really starting to play better. And then Jossi Zardes scored his ninth goal in 12 games to close it out there at the end. So a solid win for the crew to come back from their 2-2 draw at Chicago. So Wednesday night, they play Minnesota United. And then Sunday, they travel to Connecticut to play Toronto FC because of Canada's nationwide coronavirus travel guidelines. That game cannot take place in Canada. Uh, The crew also have the rest of their schedule, the 2020 season out there, uh, starting October 3rd with Dallas and ending November 8th on Decision Day at home against Atlanta United. There's a nationally televised game November 1st at 3.30 p.m. against Philadelphia Union. It'll probably kick off closer to four. That's on ABC, a really big moment for the club and, and Probably a game that could decide some playoff seating. 
But as I alluded to, let's get to the injury news of Darlington Nagby. He will be out two to three weeks with a meniscus injury. He had knocked knees with a player, I believe, in the second half of the Philadelphia game on September 2nd and had missed the September 12th and September 19th games against Chicago and Nashville. So he will be out for the next two to three weeks, which based on the schedule could mean anywhere from five, I would say five to seven games, uh, if not longer. So it's a big loss for the crew, but so far without him, they have won a game and had a draw as well. So having Lucas El Rayon back should be a big boost for the club. So that's what's going on on the field. They're continuing to lead in the Supporter Shield race atop the Eastern Conference and MLS standings at 27 points, 8-1-3 record, followed by Philadelphia, Orlando, and Toronto at 24, 22, and 22 points. Those are 1-4 through in the East. In the West, it's Seattle, Kansas City, Dallas, Minnesota and Portland, 1 through 5 at 21, 20, 19, 18, and 18 points. So those are some of your updates there. But let's get to the meat of this podcast, my interview with Morgan Hughes and Pete McGinty about new Save the Crew book, Accidental Heroes. I'm joined by the author of the new Save the Crew book called Accidental Heroes, Pete McGinty. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you joining us. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, being on the show. And of course, the spokesperson of the successful Save the Crew movement, Morgan Hughes, who we haven't had on for some time, but appreciate you both being here. Pete, let me uh, just start with you. Your book, Accidental Heroes, the Grassroots Movement to Help Save the Crew, was released earlier this month. It's available at savethecrewbook.com. I guess just start with telling the listeners why you wrote this and, and what kind of sparked the idea. Well, that's a great first question, of course. And uh, I met Morgan through, I mean, I would have never guessed I would be writing this book to start with. I was working on another project for the Columbus Partnership, writing about the Columbus Way, which is the term coined for our cultural practice of how our private and public sectors work together. And part of that project was to develop some case studies. And this was before the crew was saved. We identified Save the Crew as a really great Columbus Way case study. And uh, I said, okay, who do I talk to? And I said, Morgan Hughes. So I met Morgan on uh, September 28, 2017, over, over beers at Seventh Sun and talked for a couple hours. And, you know, that was two weeks to the day from when the crew was saved on October 12th. At that point, I didn't, you know, I wasn't optimistic. You know, most of Columbus wasn't optimistic. Here I sat across from this guy who just looked, looked me in the eye with, the, with his gaze saying, we are going to save this team. And, you know, I was worried about him because I asked Morgan, I said, what are you going to do if, if it doesn't work? And he looked at me like, you know, I had a hole in my head, like it's going to work. So it was fascinating just spending that time with Morgan. Then fast forward two weeks and the crew was saved. And I ran into Morgan at another event um, at the Metropolitan Club when Dr. Pete, D. Haslam, Alex Fisher uh, were there talking and Save the Crew was honored. And I just ran into Morgan. I said, hey, we got to have another beer and kind of complete the circle. And so we ended up having another beer and then another beer and another beer and met probably three or four times. And I just kept learning more and more things I had no idea of. And I'm thinking most of Columbus has no idea this organization existed to this extent and did these remarkable things. So one of our occasions after a couple of beers, I just looked him in the eye and I said, hey, you got to write a book about this. And I should let Morgan speak for himself, but he used some colorful language and basically said, heck no, I'd rather drink poison. Why don't you write it? So 
after some discussions and a meeting with the Save the Crew leadership team, we agreed to venture into this, and here we are. And you talk about in the author's note that this is just one story of of several uh, in the whole saga of Save the Crew, and you present the movement through the eyes of the movement leadership itself with a few smatterings of perspective from what I would call kind of the power holders in this all who actually did save the team with you know ownership and all that being the Columbus Partnership and Columbus Foundation. Why did you choose this angle to document the story and, and just focus, I would say, 80% of the book, if not more, on the leadership themselves? Because this is where the story is. And, and it's, about, it's about the mobilization that this group did and, and hundreds of volunteers throughout this community and took this power. They realized the power they had and they used it responsibly. You know, they, they didn't have the hundreds of millions of dollars needed to buy a team. They, they had never set foot in a boardroom. Uh, they didn't know who any of the power players were. None of them had met the mayor before or met Alex Fisher or any CEO in Columbus. And they just started from the beginning with this incredible instinct that they were going to do something grand. And not just them, but they, they meaning including the community. And, you know, the, the writing about, now there's a whole other story in terms of how the deal came together from, from the standpoint of the old power movement. But, you know, I thought the human interest story was really these 19 individuals primarily, the emotional journey they went on for 12 months. And the book really does start with uh, the Grant Wall tweet on October 16, 2017, and goes through October 12, 2018. So really, it's a 12-month historical look and the emotional swings and stages of grief and the way they coped with this, the way they used it to their benefit and advantage, always took the high road, always had each other's backs, a never-say-die attitude. And the old power couldn't help but be influenced by this new power movement. And in fact, Morgan um, said, I think this is remarkable too, I love this part of the book. He stood up in front of city council a week and a half after the Grant Wall tweet and addressed city council and among other things said, in this book that will be written, how are you going to be remembered? What's your legacy going to be? So Morgan and his, this group, they held the old power players responsible. They held them accountable. But the remarkable thing about that to me is that, you know, like 10 days into this, Morgan talked about a book being written and how he knew or how they knew that this was going to be such a powerful movement. You'll have to ask him. But he did. And it was. And I thought that's where the story was. And that does kind of go to my next question, Morgan, and the discussions that we had in the past about October 12, 2018, and when that when the team was saved, and I love all those anecdotes in the book, how you were just so confident, didn't really care that you guys kind of jumped the gun on the announcement, really MLS just delaying the inevitable was really what it was. But you know, through all of that, of course, there had to be more done after that until the official announcement of the Haslam and Edwards buying the team in late December. What I neglected to ever ask you was, I was, you know, working on stories about the movement, but never asked about how you all kind of formed the group. And, you know, I jumped in January 2019 to this job after all that hard work had it done. So I kind of just assumed you all had known each other for a lifetime. Obviously, that was not the case. What do you think it was that allowed a group of essentially strangers to work together in lockstep and, and reach your goal of influencing others and winning public opinion that played the ultimate role in, in saving the team? You know, 
I was talking on Saturday before the, the game against Bridgeview to Steve Weiss and Bridget Weiss, and we were t- we were kind of discussing something that I've known to be true for for eons, and that is if you are a crew fan and you're getting to know another crew fan or you're becoming friends with another crew fan or you're having a conversation with another crew fan that you don't know yet, like it's almost like, you know, all of these social things that we're so used to, like, where are you from? Like, do you have the same political views as I do? Are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you atheist? All of it goes out the window. You know, are you 75? Am I 12? It doesn't matter. Being a crew fan gives you this thing that you are instantly um, connected via to anyone else who is a crew fan. And so, I mean, I'd never have, I mean, like if you're wearing a crew shirt, I just assume like you and I are really good friends that maybe haven't talked yet. And I think when you live that kind of life, as most crew fans do, you attract people who share those same values. So when we started this group, we didn't even need to have this talk. We didn't need to have a talk of we're going to, this is going to be professional. We're going to do whatever we have to do to save the crew. You know, we're in this for the long haul. It never happened. We never discussed it. Everyone knew because we have this thing in common where what we were about. And when you're a crew fan, your walk and your talk lines up perfectly. So we got going and, you know, once we were in the room together, it was just like, you know, what's first thing on the agenda? Here we go. And Pete, I told you when we talked about this before, and you know, when I when I did get this job, I tried to read, of course, everything I possibly could about every detail of the movement. Of course, we we all know now. I, I probably uh, that was probably a fool's errand in trying to understand every single aspect of that. But you and your research used a lot of material from outlets, in, including the Dispatch and all the areas of this that we documented. But you called this, or or you said you liked the term when I described it to you as a history book, why do you prefer that term for accidental heroes? And and was that what you sought out to do? Not only showing the story through a more intimate perspective of those in the Save the Crew leadership, but more so having a work that compiles a lot of the stories for people who might not have paid attention to every aspect of the movement and kind of presenting that in one area. Yeah, I'm not sure I I thought I was setting out to write a history book necessarily. I think it, it just took me there. You know, when I started, I didn't know what I didn't know. So, you know, we started uh, the interviews with Morgan um, and then um, ultimately started interviewing all 19 folks, uh, other members of the community. But you're right, as I did my research and there's just so much content available. I mean, newspaper articles, um, not just the dispatch, but from all over the country and magazine articles and videos and blog posts and and blog posts from supporter groups and articles in Austin. And I watched, you know, Austin City Council meetings and Columbus City Council meetings. And I would transcribe all of this. And I I would, I'm old school, so I would transcribe all my interviews and print them out. I would print out all the material. And I had like these three inch, three ring binders. I used to take them over to Morgan's and and, you know, we'd reference things. And I'd be like, oh, here, that's what you're talking about. And it just, you know, but, but I really, you know, the way I set out, I wanted to, and I, and I think I did, tell the story through their eyes. You know, I didn't, I'm not telling the story through my eyes. I'm telling the story through their eyes, through their lens, and it's augmented with this third-party content, if you will. So, you know, they all referenced pieces and parts, 
And then that would just give me more work to do because I'd have to come back and look for things. I, I remember an interview with Keith Noss, who was on the team and, and uh, one of the researchers. And he talked about it and he got so excited about the kind of stuff he was finding. Oh, then I did a public records request in Austin and wouldn't believe what I found. I found this. So I'd have to go dig and try to find what he found. Or he talked about an interview that uh, Grant Wall did with, um, with Don Garber at South by Southwest. And, and just so happened that accidentally they exposed that Anthony Precourt was in the crowd at, in Austin. And, and Keith told me about that. So I had to find that video and look through the video and find that, all this stuff. And so I realized as I was putting it together and augmenting their interpretation of events in more in kind of a chronological order and augmenting it with the content that backed up what they were saying. You know, for example, the, the, the draft in Philadelphia where Don Garber garbled the, you know, the, the first pick in the draft and because the, the, all the fans in Philadelphia were chanting, save the crew. You know, I found that clip, you know, and I listened to it and I heard it and I read the article. I think it was A-Race had a nice article about it too. So, you know, everything just was pieced together that way. And, you know, it, 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 it tells a nice story in the 12 month journey with this incredible ending, of course, a happy ending. And so it, it's a, you know, especially with, with the Save the Crew team and the, the volunteers that were so close to it, you know, I think they can read this and say, this was a year of my life. You know, this is what I did this year, you know, these 12 months. And anyone else reading it, I think will learn that it was one of the most remarkable 12 months probably in our city's history in terms of what happened and how our city came together and worked together and, and found this great solution for the, for the city and the team. And Pete, so the listeners can uh, get an idea, what's your own soccer background, your crew background? <clears throat> well, I never played soccer. You know, I, I am a casual crew fan, have gone to games throughout the years. Um, not what I would consider to be a diehard crew fan. Not certainly, you know, the, the people I met are on a level of passion that just moved me so much. And I learned so much about soccer fans. We're so different from other sports fans. And um, I certainly went to a lot more games while I was writing the book. And now I am totally sucked into the crew universe. Um, it, it Just knowing the team as I know the team now and knowing the fans uh, and, and the passion they have and how important this team is to the city, I'm on a, on a different level now. But, you know, a lot of people assume that, you know, like some of my friends learned I wrote the book and they were like, I didn't know you were a soccer fan. <laughs> you know, and that's not what drove me to the book. I mean, you know, what drove me to the book was the story. And the story happens to be this remarkable story about Save the Crew. And um, that's the journey I took. Morgan, something that you and other STC members talk about extensively in the book is essentially taking on a task. And it started with the, the TIFO at the uh, U.S. national team game when they uh, tried to bring a cabal from Seattle in and uh, take over Moffrey Stadium. You talk about taking on tasks that you had no idea how to do, but having the confidence to achieve that goal and how that kind of TIFO really instilled that belief in you. And I believe I took away from the book and setting the ground for the Save the Crew movement. And you're also not afraid to try, even though some might have been more hesitant than others to take risk. When did you and other SDC members feel like you had a handle on what you were doing or were confident in your ability to kind of adapt along the way of changing circumstances? I frequently say, mostly when I'm talking about, you know, business stuff, but one of the most underrated qualities in any organization is the ability to be nimble that you attain when you are small. 
You know, it might, if you're nationwide insurance and you want to change nationwide is on your side, you want to change that jingle or drop it, or you want the Eagle to be a little bit bigger and the logo, like, do you have any idea how many decades that's going to take you? <laughs> if you were an insurance company that has four employees, you could do it that day. You know, you're like, I'm the only person in the marketing department. I've decided that now it's not nationwide is on your side. It's nationwide is out back. Please open the door. You know, so I think that we were able from the word go to kind of um, not just respond, but take advantage of opportunities. You know, there's, there's value in being proactive, intense, insane, you know, value in being proactive. But if you're a, if you're a very talented reactor, you're unstoppable, man, because there's nothing that can happen to you or your organization that kind of leaves you flat-footed. Um, and I think that was one of the strengths of Save the Crew is that, you know, <laughs> we didn't have to run it by a board of uh, owners on uh, in upper Manhattan, wherever MLS is, to do something or put something out. So we were, uh, you know, we were, and we were cognizant of that too. We were aware of our, our strengths, aware of our weaknesses, um, and we played to them. And uh, that was, uh, you know, let that be another lesson of Save the Crew is that, you know, use your strengths, man. If you're uh, if you're sized appropriately to be nimble, be nimble. Pete, just through all these interviews and all the time you spent with them and, and writing the book, what what were some of your main takeaways that either you didn't realize before, or maybe just these interviews kind of further instilled your your beliefs? And you talked about this new power versus old power. What were just some of the I guess biggest takeaways you took from this whole process? You know, I can, kind of can play off of where Morgan was going. It's, it's this how this nimble organization, I mean, first of all, yeah, they're, they're small and nimble, but what they had was expertise in every area where they needed expertise. And they didn't just bring on somebody who knew something about communications. They brought on a communications expert. They didn't just bring on somebody who worked in an ad agency. They bring out bring on somebody that owned an ad agency. You know, I mean, they and they were getting hit from all angles by people who wanted to help and wanted to bring something to it. And they had to, they had to vet all of these people and these ideas and these thoughts and so forth. And they built this organization, a flat organization. So you mentioned new power. One of the things was that this there was no leader of this group. They were all equal. They all had an equal voice. They had bylaws. They they voted. They were so democratic. In fact, one of the great examples of, of showcasing that is how they portray themselves on the website. And every time you go to the, the leadership group or the organizers, I think the tab is, every time you go to it, everyone's in a different order. So, you know, the first time I went to it after I met Morgan, I expected Morgan to be in the upper left because I thought Morgan is the leader of this group, right? And uh, he was down in like the lower right. You know? and so I'm like, well, that's weird. Who's Donnie Murray? I didn't, I haven't heard of him yet. And they, so they did, they did all of this like immediately and effortlessly. I mean, this meaning organizing and naturally, and again, uh, recognized the power they had. They knew they didn't have the old power, but they knew they had the new power. And I think they were mentored by some really valuable people in our community, one being Doug Kreidler, who, you know, said things like, you know, you've got to understand the power you have, and you've got to use it responsibly. And if you do that, you can change, you can change this, you can change the world. And, you know, Doug even talked about how it's a great example of, for a new power movement, how it could influence other things in Columbus, well beyond the crew, well beyond sports, even. 
to tackle some of our community issues that are so daunting sometimes. And and I think to Morgan's point, you know, when people mobilize like that and they recognize they have the power and they build a, a movement, they truly can move mountains. And again, holding the old power accountable, I think there were times probably where the power players wondered if this was their job to try to save the team and could have walked away at any time and and most people would have understood. But not the new power save the crew movement. They would not have understood that. And so they, they weren't going to let that happen. Um, so that's one of the things that one of the big takeaways. The other thing is just the, the relationships that they have with each other. And um, I kind of equate, I, I'd recently read the uh, book um, 1968, the year that saved Ohio State football. And it talked about that team who like to save the crew. They weren't expected to win the Big Ten or win the national championship. They weren't expected to succeed. Woody was on thin ice. And this group of sophomores who, you know, nobody knew who they were, went undefeated and won the national championship. And as a result, the bond they have with each other is unbreakable to this day. And I think part of that bond is because they fought as underdogs against a machine. And when you have that philosophy and you're working from that position, I think not only do you work harder, I think you lean on each other harder and you pick each other up and you have each other's backs because you know the sacrifices everyone else is making. And you know the emotional toil they're going through. And so you've got, no one else has what they have in common, truly. I mean, we talk about hundreds of volunteers who are very close to this, but I'm telling you, nobody else has what these 19 individuals have and share with each other. And it's a, it's a bond that will never be broken. And it's a, so part of this is a story about relationships. And um, there are lots of tears through the book. And, you know, we really try to get and capture that emotive nature of it, too. Yeah, and there are some really emotional passages on the, the day that the team was saved. And I definitely encourage people to read through to get to those moments because, you know, above all, and I'll, I guess I'll be a little editorial here, is what came across to me was just I felt like I had a ton of empathy for everyone who worked on the movement. And I think I have this perspective as now I cover the club, but I wasn't around at all during this movement. And I'm just always touched by when people put forth a really good faith effort into a cause that they feel is, is righteous. And they, you know, you guys, Morgan, you stuck to your message clearly. And, and it's not just a sports story, at least to me. And I want to get your thoughts on this, Morgan, is, is it applies to more than just sports. You, you felt like you saw something unjust and it happened to be with a major league soccer team and you did what you could to keep them there. Do you, do you feel like this is not just a story about sports, but can, like Pete said, kind of extend to a lot of different areas of society? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks, Pete, for comparing us to the super sophomores. A lot of people are calling me the Rex Kern of soccer. Um, <laughs> yes, I don't think that, uh, you know, there's part of me, the emotional part of me that says this story has nothing to do with soccer. Listen, man, we didn't play soccer one time in that in that leadership meeting, you know, yeah, we watched soccer, but that was a reward for hard work. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, on a week by week basis. One of the reasons I'm so happy that Pete wrote this book is that, you know, first and foremost, I love it when people tell stories about the Columbus Crew. The Columbus Crew is my favorite thing in the world, so I think another thing being out there is just grand. Um, secondly, you know, I'm holding my daughter right now. And she's being really good and not making any noise. And I'm, I'm happy that there's going to be like a record of, of my friends and I doing some stuff that, you know, when I die, she'll be able to read or, and show her kids and go, hey, this is what your um, 
That's what your grandfather was all about. But lastly, most importantly, you know, we live in a time where people need to know exactly how powerful they are. And this is a story of people realizing their potential. And it doesn't matter that we didn't have billions of dollars. I mean, on day one of Save the Crew, minute one, second one, believe me when I say no one thought that we were going to get together and pool our money and buy a major league soccer franchise. It never even crossed our minds. What we did know is that when, when people come together and they decide collectively to change the world around them and they decide that they're not going to stop until it is changed, they literally always win. In fact, it is the only way that history has been made. It is the only way that progress has been made. It is the only way people have claimed their rights as people. And I think another story being out there about that is insanely valuable, especially right now, especially when we face so many existential crises in our, in our planet and in our life. And <laughs> believe me, again, when I say that being a portion of that story or a voice in that story is the greatest honor I've ever had in my entire existence. So, uh, you know, just couldn't be happier to be a part of it. And uh, speaking of my daughter, she just vomited on me. Fantastic. Well, I have one question left anyway. Let's kind of look ahead a bit. Uh, Pete, the, the stadium is being built. We're less than a year away from those gates opening up. There's a new training center being built as well. That'll open around the same time. Team is in first place halfway through this strange stop and start season. Obviously, every new regime ownership wants to forge their their own legacy. And I'll credit that I think this ownership group and management group has done a solid job at, at recognizing the role that the Save the Crew movement has played in getting the club to where they are right now and, and just being in Columbus. There are going to be new fans coming along with this stadium. And eventually we're going to move forward where Save the Crew isn't so much in the forefront of the mind. I guess my question is how essential is the Save the Crew movement going to be a part of the legacy of the club in your mind, Pete? Jacob, I think that's a great question. I was thinking about, it might have been another interview I did, we talked about how, um, imagine if we win the cup this year. You know, imagine if we win the cup next year. Imagine the kind of success that's ahead of us. And we can look back and thank Morgan and these 19 individuals. Um, because those great things that are ahead for the crew, for the fans, for the city, for the community, aren't going to happen, would not have happened had it not been for what they did. And so I think that the Save the Crew movement will go down in history. And we have a book to, to, to help people understand and, and, and keep the story alive. But I think the Save the Crew movement will hopefully always be remembered as a, the significant pivot point that helped keep this team here. And, you know, granted, Morgan has said this, and everybody knows it's that they didn't do it by themselves, and it took the old power, and it took, you know, the lawsuit help and things like that. But if you take any of those out of the equation, including Save the Crew, it doesn't happen. So, yes, you can say because of them. And so, not to mention the fact that it's never been done before, we can look into the future and who knows when it might be done again. When I say it, I'm talking about a community rising up and fighting against the machine and keeping their team um, in their city. And, you know, I think this is going to give owners of other sports franchises and other leagues a lot of pause 
if they decide, well, I'm going to chase a luxury suite deal over here, a new stadium, or, because they're going to look back and say, well, you know, you know what those people in Columbus did? What if the people in Denver do that? Or what if the people in Philly do that? Or what if our fans in Miami, you know, wherever it might be? Because this is a playbook for how communities create this kind of power. So it not only is going to be, I think, remembered in terms of its value to this team and all the things we have to look forward to, but I think it's going to be remembered in sports history as, you know, because in 100 years, 50 franchises have up and left, period. (laughs) End of story. Not this time. And so has this started a, you know, a new direction for relationships between communities and their, and their franchises? Maybe. It certainly shines a bright light on um, the things that are important in a community and the importance of a community to a franchise. So, um, of course, you know, I, I selfishly also hope that this has a long, long history, but I really believe it, it has a, a right to have a long history. And there's such value here that we'll be talking about this for a long time. Yeah, well, I, I recommend it to any Columbus sports fans, and especially to me as someone who came in at the back end, really at the after to save the crew mo- movement was over. It was helpful for me just to rehash some of these things. And uh, I, I do recommend it. I'll be writing something on our on our site. Um, thank you both for joining, of course. And, and Pete, where can people find the book? And I understand your proceeds to go to a unique cause. You can find the book on Save the Crew Book dot com save the crew book.com and you're right 10 percent of the proceeds from the sale of the book that are sold through that site go to the community assist program which sends uh buys tickets for uh refugee and immigrant kids to go to games so not going to games this year but our hope is that when the next season starts we'll have a big bank of money to be able to send a lot of kids to games awesome well thanks again uh to both you again go read the book Pete, Morgan, everyone put in a lot of time putting that together. So appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, Thanks, Mike, A-Race. And uh, thanks, Podfather and K-Rob Cordo. Thanks a lot. The whole game.